Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he live or be he dead, I'll grind his bones to make my bread. You guys know that line from Jack and the Beanstalk, right? But how many of us are taunted by the giants that we face in our life every day? You've heard their nasty pleads, their, their things that they say. Uh, you, what I've noticed that in my life, giants seem to come at night more often than anything else. Are you like that? And you know, it's always worse at night than it truly is any other time of day. And the giants say things, well, this is the kind of things he, they say to me. You're a loser. If people really knew what you were like, they wouldn't listen to you. No one will follow you. Then they say things like, you're not as smart, as talented, or as talented as you think you are. Of course, there's people in my life who also join the giants in that mantra. Everyone is out to get you. Nobody really is on your side. You're by yourself. You're isolated. That's just some of the mess I hear. I could go on, but I think you get the point. Do you guys have things you could add to that list? Oh, there's a whole lot of quiet. Maybe we'll do a series on denial. <laughs> but the truth is, giants come to taunt us, to steal our joy, to, um, to keep us ineffective. Satan has a wonderful strategy he uses with us. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. Many of you have read that in Ephesians chapter 6, and he, he talks about putting on these various pieces. And one piece, he says, is put on the helmet of salvation. Now, often when I've read that, I went, okay, what does that mean? The, the knowledge that I know that I'm saved? Yes. But it's also to protect my mind from Satan's two favorite weapons, which are doubt and discouragement. He wants you to doubt God's goodness and God's favor. We sing songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know. And then Satan whispers, yeah, everybody but you. You're really not worthy. Like, remember all the stuff you've done? You've heard me say this, the only entities in the world that remind you of your past are Satan and your extended family, right? And you hear the taunts of the enemy. And then he uses discouragement. How could God ever possibly use you? And these things that you have planned, they're not going to work out. They're all going to end in disaster. And, well, I think I'm starting to depress you, right? But the realization that if we're going to live face-to-face with God, we've got to face the giants in our lives. And it might not just be the giants that come to us at night and whisper words of doubt and discouragement. They could be the giants of generational sin that have followed us through the generations of our parents and their parents and their parents before them. It might be the giants of hurts that uh, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he says, oh, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. And I was thinking, that's kind of saying you like me, but you don't like Tara? We got a problem. You know, don't mess with mama. And I said, well, really, why don't you like the church? Well, I've been hurt by the church. I looked at him dead in the eye and said, I've been a pastor for 36 years. You don't think I've been hurt by the church? Suck it up, buttercup. If you're going to love people, you will get hurt, right? If you're going to have children, they will break your heart, right? Have I said this to you uh, before? You're only as happy as your most miserable child, have I? That'll preach. But this is what God has said to us, that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. So before I really wade into all of this, 
I want us to, to really face the giants of our lives. And, and I want us to look at a skinny-armed shepherd boy who was challenged and empowered, challenged by the great God of heaven, empowered by his Holy Spirit, who faced giants and saw them fall, and it launched a movement. And today, on this day at First Baptist Wimberley, this rather cool summer day, uh, two days ago, the only person happy in Texas was the devil. That's how hot it was. But the Lord has helped us today. I want you to lean in and learn, and let's face the giants. You guys ready for this? Father, I thank you for what you're going to say, and I pray that you will speak through me, that this will be a custom word from your heart to the hearts of those that are listening. Not my opinion or my thoughts, for what I have to say is nonsense and noise, but Father, what you have to say is life and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let us listen and then do all for you, Jesus, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, go ahead and take out your, your Take the Weekend With You notes. You might want to jot some things down. We have scriptures that go with this every week. We want to fill your heart and your mind with the courage from the Lord because he really wants to use you and, and empower you in an extraordinary way. So let's jump in there. For some reason this morning, I am very nervous, and I don't understand why. <laughs> so y'all pray for me, Okay. I'm so nervous, I brought a shirt to change into, and I promise not to change in public. Is that okay? No, nobody needs to see that. All right. Before I get into this, mes this message, I want to talk to you about some fear facts. You know, we, we, we face fears, and fears face us. But if we're going to live fearless, and we're going to face our fears and live face-to-face -face with God and the power and the courage of God, let's take some fear facts. Here's the first thing. You only have two natural fears, and that's the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. <laughs> now, I, I've watched uh, my little Ivy, who my granddaughter, uh, she was afraid of me for several months of her early life. Why? Because Papa is loud. But now, you know, she looks for Papa, and she wants Papa, and I think she enjoys Papa. <laughs> I laughed at her the other night. She, she slipped and fell, and she was at her house, and she slipped and fell, and she bumped herself. And I, I said, come here to Papa and let Papa love you. And I picked her up, and she was kind of sobbing. She looked over my shoulder, and she saw, she calls Tara Gigi. She saw Tara's uh, Gigi's jelly beans. And instantaneously, the tears stopped, and she said, jelly beans? <laughs> I said, certainly. She says, and said, do you want one? Yes, Papa. Of course, she got three. That's right, because I want to be like Jesus, and Jesus is generous, Tara. I just want to remind you, okay. Fear of falling and fear of loud noises. The, all the other fears we have are learned. They're learned fears. Some of you are afraid what's going to happen to you, you in your old age. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen to you in your old age. You're going to die. And my daddy said, it ain't nothing but a little dying. And fear not. Because one day when the Lord calls you home, he will come and fetch you and take you to where he is. There ain't nothing to be scared of, is there, folks? Yeah. Most of our fears are unfounded in reality and never really do amount to anything. My father passed away when he was 89 years old. A few months before his death, he said, kids, I want to tell you something. Most stuff I worried about in my life never happened, and if it did, it never amounted to anything. There's really no reason to live in fear of anything, because fear not. Have no fear. Jesus is near. Hmm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
Solomon wrote that in the book of Proverbs. But he wasn't talking about being scared of God. He's talking about a reverence and a respect and awe of God. He's talking about being so enthralled with God that you, you reverence him and you awe him. Somehow in our modern day theology, we've lost the awe of God and the magnificence of God and the holiness of God, and we sing songs to God like we're going to take Jesus to the prom instead of that he's the God of great heaven and earth. But he is the God of great heaven and earth, and he's the Lord who says, fear not. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love this, what Isaiah said. He said, can a Can a mother forget the child nursing at her breast? Yes, she may forget, but I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. You're always before me. (laughs) I want you to imagine, I want you to look at your hands right now. I want you to imagine the hands of God with a big nail pierce in the middle of them and your name inscribed around the hole of the nail. That's how much the Lord loves you. Engraved means to be etched out, permanent. God loves you. Here's one other thought I want you to have. There are 365 fear nots in the Bible. That's one for every day of the week, except for in leap year, you have the permission to freak out. (laughs) Just one day. Isn't that fascinating? And I quoted this earlier, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I love that passage. Uh, That passage really has carried me through. Actually, If you look at it in the Greek, it says, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a self-control. It means to take hold. You have the authority by the fruit of the Holy Spirit to take hold of your life. You are not out of control. You are under self-control, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. That may be enough for some of y'all to get up and go home. Okay, thanks, nobody left, all right. The great theologian John Wayne said this, courage is fear that has said its prayers. So as we get into this passage of Scripture, I want you to kind of walk with me, and we're going to go to the Valley of Elath. I've been to the Valley of Elath. I've gathered stones there. I've seen where David and Goliath fought that epic battle. Uh, and so I understand the, the topography of the Scripture, but also understand the emotions of the Scripture. Even though I've not faced a Goliath, I've faced many giants, and some of you have as well, and some of you are facing giants today. Some of you are facing the giants of cancer today. Some of you are facing the giants of relational brokenness today. Some of you are facing the giants of, of poverty today, or, or debt today, or other addictions today. Some of you are facing the giants that are the giants of your own making that you feel worthless today. But God says you are not worthless. So let me say some things to you as we look at this text, some thoughts that, that I've kind of gathered out of this that hopefully are helpful for you. You know, I, I say this to you guys every time I speak, that I preach to myself, you just get the gravy. Well, today I'm preaching to all of us, y'all, okay? So lean in. This is for all of you. I want you to have a good big old turkey leg today to gnaw on from God's Word. The size of your God determines the size of your giants. Now, if your God is big, your giants are small. But if your God is small, your giants are big. Let me read for you. This is in 1 Samuel 17. If you want to follow along your Bible, you can do that. 1 Samuel 17, verses 24 through 26. And we'll we'll be looking at more passages there in uh, in Samuel. But let me read. 
As he was talking with them, that's David talking to his brothers. David had been anointed king by Samuel. He had gone up to take a wine and cheese and bread to the armies of Israel, to King Saul as a gift. He's talking to his brothers. His brothers became some of David's mining men later. He was talking with them. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. The David heard his usual taunts to the army of Israel. As soon as Israel, Israel, the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy the armies of Israel. And then David said this, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy anyway? I believe David could have been from Texas. That sounds like a Texas comment. The thing is that when we look at giants in our life, they're all scary. And whether it's a physical being or whether it's a, a, an opportunity, a situation, a prognosis, it, it, they scare us. And the object and their, their MO, their, their method of operation, is to taunt us and to keep us in fear. Now, I could talk about the history of the, the giant of the Philistines and a talk about that uh, as a great warrior. You know, he's probably about nine feet tall. There's a, a guy named Malcolm Gladrich. He, he wrote a, a book called David and Goliath, and I heard him give a talk about David and Goliath, and he said Goliath really wasn't that intimidating. He's a guy that had Morpheus syndrome. His heart was enlarged, and he was just actually, he was probably had poor eyesight. In fact, he had such poor eyesight, he had to have someone lead him out on the battlefield. All he was was intimidating. And this is what I said to my brother who gave that speech. That's a bunch of baloney. This dude was a warrior. A guy carrying a spear that weighed 125 pounds is a man. This is Shaquille O'Neal and then some. This is a large warrior. Been, changed, been trained as a warrior all his life. When he walked out on the battlefield, everybody saw it. Now, here's the thing except for David. David believed that God was bigger than Goliath. David believed that God was bigger than Goliath. Now, I want you to hold on just a second, because this is what we do. We gather in church buildings all over this, this land, and we hear these biblical accounts are actually inscribed in the pages of history. They really happen and we read them academically instead of reading them in reality. We stand at a distance to analyze instead of embracing the emotion of the reality. This dude was unbelievably frightening, and he would literally grind your bones to bake your bread. But David did not see a giant. He saw an opportunity. What in the world was going on in David's mind? This is what was going on. David's view of God had shaped his view of Goliath. You see, just a few months before that, Samuel had anointed him with the, the flask, the oil of being the king. And the Bible said from that day forward, the Spirit of God dwelt mindily on David, dwelt permanently on David. 
The same spirit of God that indwelt David that cut Goliath down to size is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Did you just hear what I said? The same Holy Spirit dwells in you. Are we going to see life with spiritual eyes or are we going to see life through carnal eyes, through eyes that do not believe and eyes that do not see? You know, you will never face the giants in your life, whatever they may be, until you see the size of your God as the great I am, the ancient of days, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the king, Lord God Almighty, the God of heaven's armies, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who is and will be and evermore shall be. Are you with me, folks? And when we grasp God in the reality of who he is, he changes us. Isaiah chapter 6, I think it was one of our readings recently, when Isaiah was in the temple of God, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he got a glimpse of the reality of God, and he said, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. Then an angel, a cherubim, flew from the altar and brought a tong uh, with tongs of flaming coal and touched Isaiah's mouth. He said, this has made you clean. And that was a symbol of redemption, of cleanliness. And then the Lord said, who will go for me? And Isaiah, we know he wasn't a Baptist because he said, here, my Lord, send me. If he is a Baptist, he said, here, my Lord, send him, right? <laughs> here, am I, send me. And because when we get the proper view of God, all fear is dissipated. Now, here's the next thing I want to say to you. Uh, we, <laughs> I'll chase this rabbit just for a second. We were in staff meeting this week, and, and they were talking about the length of this sermon. They said, this sermon is going to be way too long. And I said, y'all just relax. We'll preach it till we're done, okay? Is that all right with y'all? All right. My talks are kind of like baloney. It's still the same wherever you cut them off. Okay, all right. There, if there's no risk, there's no reward. If there's no risk, there's no reward. Now, if we're not going to step out, we're not going to see the movement of God. God will not use you in your comfort zone, but he will comfort you when you choose to live all for him. I'll say that again. God will not use you in your comfort zone, but he will comfort you as you choose to live all for him. Somehow, we bought into the safety of God. God is not safe, y'all. He's dangerous. If there's no risk, there's no reward. David asked the men standing nearby, and I love this. Here's this skinny-armed teenager Look at this giant of Goliath, uh, uh, from Gath, this Goliath from Gath. And he asked this question, what old man get killing this Philistine in defiance of Israel? What's going to get? What's in it? You know, what, what's, like, what's the prize? Everybody's looking at him and said, you're an idiot, David. This guy's a warrior from his childhood, and you're a shepherd boy, and you're a teenager. You're not even shaving, son. And you go, you ask him what you're going to get paid? You attack this giant? I go back to the previous comment, the size of your God determines your sign, your size of your giant. You see, David knew that there was great rewards for killing his giant. 
course, the rewards were you'd marry the king's daughter, you'd become part of the king's household, you'd be invited into the royal lineage. David had his sight set on something larger than that. That would be the king of Israel. Why? Because God had pronounced him king of Israel. Now, he'd got, now I want to say this, this I want you to hold on to this. God gives you promises today that not, may not be fulfilled until the far distant future. He whispers promises to you today that he may not fulfill until the distant future. He told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have kids. 25 years later, Sarah got pregnant. She was 90. Now, some of y'all approaching 90. Some of you ladies approaching 90. What if, what if your hunk of hunk of bird of love got you pregnant right now? You would kill him. <laughs> Dead. There would be a miracle and a murder. But God said he was going to do it. If God said he was going to do it, guess what? I'll tell you something. I want to give you something. God's promised every one of you something. This is what he promised you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, but we're not so I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. That where I am, you will be also. And you know where I'm going. And that is a promise. That is a promise. I'll tell you another one. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's seed beg for bread. That is a promise. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That is a promise. And I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Is a promise. And that's the promises of God. And when we face the giants, we experience the reward. Here's some rewards. Freedom. No longer are we taunted. For some reason, I did not sleep well last night. I tossed and turned. There's something about a boat today and things like that. I talked to my company I work for now and they were having a training on Friday, and I called them and said, do you think I need to come down to that train? They go, no, we're going to terminate you on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, okay, here we go, Jesus. I stuttered just a bit. There's deliverance. There's relational unity. Some of you are giants, or you have broken relationships that you're afraid to fix. I want to tell you this, conflict can be a pathway to intimacy if you handle conflict biblically. The reward is bringing glory to God when your life is brought to fruition and healing. And David lived for God's glory, and I think we should as well, don't you? For God's glory. And I want to say this to you, and I want you to hold it in your heart. Your reaction to fear shows your belief in God, and when you trust in God, you bring glory to him. Fear made, made me want to turn around in purgatory and go home. But courage says, go. I have an assignment for you. Go. Face your fears. <laughs> I do this for leaders. I do a core fear assessment. 
I give them an assessment, and I, I figure out what their, what their biggest fears are, their core fears. It's really exciting when I do that. I've done this assessment on me, and you know what my biggest core fear is? Rejection. Rejection. So I'm, I, I serve in a position where people have to affirm my calling, so I face the fear of rejection. Suck it up, buttercup. Let me go on. Expect adversity. When, you, when you're facing the giants of your life, it's not going to be easy. Uh, David didn't walk out on the battlefield and Goliath went, oh, there's David, and fell over dead. <laughs> it didn't happen that way. In fact, he taunted David. He said, who are you? What do you think I have, a dog that you're coming after me with sticks and stones? I'm going to feed you to the beast of the air and the birds of the field. Wait. Other way around. <laughs> we'll do that. Help him, Jesus. But David's adversity not only came from the giant, it came from his brother. From his brother. I was in India a few years back, and I was listening to Pastor Joseph preach, and he pastors a church of about 25,000 people in, in India. They meet in 52 different locations. Their mission is to feed, clothe, house, and educate 100,000 street children. He's making a big difference for the glory of God in a very hard place in Mumbai, India. And Pastor Joseph said, this is what he said. He said, you know... If you put one crab in a box, that crab will get out. He'll crawl out. He'll escape. But if you put two crabs in a box, the one crab will keep pulling the other crab back into the box. He said, church, we're like crabs in a box. Instead of assisting each other out of our misery, we keep pulling each other back into our misery. Isn't that true? And this brother, he says this, but David's oldest brother, Ebed, Ilabed, heard David talking to the men. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What, are, what about those sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? See, he started to diminish you, David. Isn't that what, what older brothers do to younger brothers? You know, David, you're just a shepherd. What are you doing up here? What about those sheep, David? And then he said this. Then he attacked his character. I know your pride and your deceit. You just want to see a battle. And it's interesting, as I looked at that, and I've heard people say that, said, how dare you attack my character? Yeah. In fact, our character should be called to question so it, should be, it can be defended based on being godly and righteous. David had come to do a service, had come with a calling, and his brother taunted him. Ernest Wadsworth said this, pray for a faith that will not shrink when washed in the waters of affliction. That even though we face adversity, we will face the giants in spite of the adversity, even when the adversity comes from the ones who are closest to us closest to us. And I pray as a people, as a church, as a people of God, 
uh, here locally and globally that we'll become people of encouragement of people facing the adversities, not one crab pulling another crab and down into the misery of our complacency. Would you agree with that? That's two of you. That's very exciting. Here's the next thought I want you to gather, and we're going to be done in a minute. God asks you to face the giants on his, his terms. Not on your terms, on his terms. Now, I've, I've made this observation uh, for a while now, and I, I feel like that we in the church as Christians, we want to shape Jesus into our, our own image instead of, shape, of instead of Jesus being the image we are shaped into. We want the God of our molding, the one who meets our needs instead of the one who we serve wholeheartedly. And God says face the giants on his terms. David said this to Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go and fight him. Now I'm sure Saul, who was head and shoulders above everybody, a manly man, a big man, the one who should have fought Goliath anyway. He was the champion of Israel. The one who was shirking his responsibilities. Felt all kinds of comfort when this 90-pound shepherd boy said, I'll take care of this. Don't you think? Hmm. Don't underestimate a small person with a big God. David said this, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Now here's the thing, God always does things that brings him glory. And, and God does it in such a way that he gets the credit for it. As I was praying about Wimberley and what God may want to do here in this church, I started praying and said, God, will you move in such a way that no one can take credit for it but yourself? This, it won't not be about cleverness or personality, but this will be about your movement in such a way that it brings glory to yourself. Where people throughout Texas and throughout this nation scratch their heads about Wimberley and go, how in the world did that happen? And we could say, King Jesus. That's how that happened. David had the experience of God moving. This church has the experience of God's moving. Will we seize the experience? Saul says to David, well, you're going to go out and fight this giant. Let me give you my armor. We cannot fight the giants that we face in the armors of somebody else. We have to fight the giants that we face in the armor of, of ourselves, in the armor that God has given us. We have to be true to who we are. I was talking to your chairman of deacons. I won't tell you his name. I'll give you his initials, Vernon. And, and I said to Vernon, I said, Vernon, uh, you're here someplace. Where are you, Vernon? There you are. Okay. Vernon, I said, I've got 36 years of experience, but I have zero Wimberley experience, right? Remember that conversation? And together, we could figure out what God wants done here for his glory. Together. It's kind of exciting. And your past victories will enable your future courage. This church is 133 years old. She's an old girl. And she's going to dance again. Do you believe that? We might even have us a fiddle in the band. All for Jesus. I love this last part. 
Run to the battle. Let's go. Let's go. Run to the battle. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran out quickly to meet him. That, that, I got chill bumps. Run to the battle. Don't be scared. Run to the battle. Goliath trotted out. David sprinted out. I mean, good gracious. Uh, you cannot deal with giants passively. You could pray that they go away when God said, get up and kill them. Get up, gather your stones, and kill them. Well, Jesus, I'm just going to stay here and pray a while. Jesus said, pray and get up. I, I, I love what um, St. Augustine said. He said, pray like everything depends upon God, then move like everything depends upon you. Prayer and faith, prayer and action, move, run to the battle. And the biggest battle is not the giants you face, it's the battle in your soul to garnish your courage and believe greatly in God and face whatever fear is facing you and face it with the victory of God because victory is yours. Psalm 118.17 says this, you will not die but live to declare what God has done. Run to the battle. And you will never run to the battle until you claim Jesus as Lord. A couple other thoughts, we're going to be done. Dead giants will launch a movement. Dead giants will launch a movement. When the giants fall in your life, people are going to say, what's going on? And it'll cause them to move with you. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They turned and ran. You see, your life is not about you. Your life is about Jesus. It's not about you. How you live inspires others to live all for Jesus. Your story matters. Your victories matter. Your testimony matters. Your life tells a story. Stop being taunted by the giants and live in this victory. This church has the opportunity but to be known as the people who slay giants. And as we become the people who slay giants, we will launch a movement that will light the fires of eternity. I wrote something for you guys, and I want to share it with you. And I wrote this actually several years ago. But in my time together, in my time with the Lord this week in preparing this talk, I said, I have to share this with this church at Wimberley. Usually when someone's preaching a candidating service, they'll give you a grandiose vision and they'll talk about plans and programs. But I, I don't want to talk about, I want to talk about Jesus. But I also want to talk about what I see. So bear with me as I read this for you. And I, I think it's going to be on the screen as well. The church I see is a church of influence. A church on purpose whose heart is so large that cities and nations cannot ignore it. A church with a message so clear that lives are changed forever. A church God is using to reach broken people at such a pace that buildings struggle to contain the increase. I see a church whose heartfelt praise touches heaven and changes earth through worship that exalts Jesus Christ. I see a church that is devoted to rescue people into fellowship with God and each other, connect people for spiritual growth, equipping people in ministry, and passionately sending people out on mission. I see a church so dependent on the Holy Spirit that nothing will stop her or stand against her. A church whose people are unified, 
praying and devoted to Christ and to one another. I see a church that has a message so clear that lives are changed forever and potential is fulfilled through the power of God's word. I see a church so compassionate that people are drawn from impossible situations into loving and friendly circles of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. I see a church so kingdom-minded that she counts whatever the cost and pays whatever the price to see lives changed. I see a church that is empowering and equipping people in order to contribute back into the life of their community, increasing their sense of value, self-worth, and dignity. I see a church with a passionate global vision, desiring to communicate God's love and bring God's peace to the ends of the earth. I see a church so committed to raising, training, and empowering a generation of leaders who build lives that all of our left efforts are consumed with this goal. I see a church whose head is Jesus, whose help is the Holy Spirit, whose focus is the great commandment and the great commission. Yes, the church I see is this church, our church, God's church, all for Jesus. All for Jesus. Tara and I are excited and honored to step into this with you. We only have one life to live, and it passes quickly. And only what we do do for King Jesus matters, and it lasts for eternity. Let's face it together. Let's face it together all for Jesus. So it's time to kill you giants. This morning in front of me, we have bags of stones. It's never good for a preacher to pass out rocks before the sermon. I saw someone with bags of tomatoes, and I got a little nervous this morning as I came. Here's some things I want you to think about. I want you to name your giants. Maybe your giant's name is cancer. Maybe it's dementia, Alzheimer's. Maybe it's a rebellious child. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a herd, a habit, a hang-up. Maybe it's some other fear. And they taunt you. It's time to call them out. Who is this pagan Philistine that will taunt the armies of the living God? Now let's give them to the Lord. Now let's live in freedom. Now let's teach others to do the same. Because what we do today will shape our future for tomorrow. Every decision becomes a destiny. Today we face a decision that will change us. In a moment, Dan's going to come and we're going to sing a song of commitment. And I'm going to do something very unusual. I'm going to invite you to get up and come get you some rocks. And take them with you. And hold on to them. You might need to get one. Some of you might need to get several. Did you know that Goliath, there were five giants in the Bible? And David and his men killed them all? How many stones did David pick up that day? Five. How many giants did David kill? One. His men killed the rest of them. So let's go. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Time for the giants to die.